0: Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. I want to get into our study tonight before we get into a time of prayer on Wednesday nights. We've begun studying the truths that we are to live by. And we're ba- we're, we're looking into the creeds and conf- confessions of of Christendom over uh, the past many centuries because these creeds and confessions summarize what it is we believe, what the Bible uh, says. And yes, it it is a lot about doctrine, but doctrine is important. You know, we we think, oh, doctrine, that's for somebody else to study. But the thing is, the doctrine that you hold matters to every aspect of your life. As Pastor Ray Pritchard noted, he said Christianity is a doctrinal faith. It is not a fill-in-the-blank that you can fill in with whatever content you desire. Christianity is a life based on the doctrine of the Bible. We must never say, as long as you believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter what else you believe. Because unless the Jesus we believe in is the Christ of the Bible... He's not the real Jesus at all. This means that Christianity is more than a conversion experience. To be a Christian means learning the doctrines of the Bible. This does not come naturally to any of us. There are things to learn. There are doctrines we are required to believe. That's why the Apostles' Creed is so important in the history of the church. Truth is not up for grabs and is not decided by what we feel or by a majority vote or the latest opinion poll. The creed reminds us that the truth comes from God, and that is where we must start our spiritual journey. So yes, doctrine is important. And the Apostles' Creed is a good place to start. We might say that the Apostles' Creed is the bare minimum. I mean, it's very minimalistic. I mean, this is the bare bones. This is the minimum. I can't talk. This is the minimum that you believe to be a Christian. And the Apostles' Creed, it really does a wonderful job of explaining just the the very basics of what it is that we believe and what we uh, hold to. Now yes, again, I, I mentioned it last week. We hold that scripture is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God, it alone, is our authority for life, faith, practice, and everything. But we look to creeds and confessions as, as summaries of what the Scripture teaches about very important subjects. And therefore, these are very important doctrines. And the Apostles' Creed is an important doctrine. And, you know, it, it, I think it, it's very needful and I think it's very helpful. One author, Chuck Warnock, he explains why the Apostles' Creed is needful. He, he writes this. He writes, we need the Apostles' Creed because it is the oldest expression currently in use of the beliefs that we hold common as Christians. We need the Apostles' Creed to connect us to the church of the first century and the faith of the the apostles themselves. For even if the apostles did not write the Creed, which they didn't, but it was certainly what they proclaimed as they carried the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. We need the Apostles' Creed to humble us, And remind us that we are not the first generation to have followed christ there is a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us who have handed the faith off to us and to whom we are responsible for its transmission to our generation we need the apostles creed as a clear expression of what we believe when called to give account of our faith we need the apostles creed to remind us of the whole counsel of god we need the apostles creed to help us affirm the uniqueness of Christ. We need the Apostles' Creed to remind us that the Holy Spirit is still with us. We need the Apostles' Creed to remind us that we do indeed believe in the church in an age in which the church is being attacked or ignored. We need the Apostles' Creed to draw us into a new appreciation for the communion of the saints, to make us newly thankful for the forgiveness of sins and to remind us that there is indeed A life everlasting and so these creeds and confessions are so helpful they found us in the faith that was once for all delivered to the Saints our day and age is filled with people who are arrogant who think that they can come up with that after 2,000 years of Christian history oh I came up with a new idea that no one has ever thought of before in 2,000 years And I have the right interpretation of Scripture now. No one's ever thought of this before, but I have. Are you out of your mind? How arrogant to think that, you know, okay, well, we're the 21st century. We're smarter than anyone else that has ever come before us, and blah, 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 blah. We have a lot to learn. From the creeds and confessions of history. Now, the Apostles' Creed, a good place to start. And it's split into three different sections. One, one section for each member of the Holy Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, this is how the Apostles' Creed begins I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You know, last week I spoke about those two small words, I believe. And we think that, well, that's not very, that's not that big of a deal. That's not very important, but it is. Because when we say I believe or we believe in these truths, we're not saying merely that, well, you know, I sent to to this truth. I think that it's a fact. But what we're saying is, not only do I think that it's a fact and that it's true and it really happened and it, 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 it talks about reality, but it makes a difference in my life. I actually allow these things that I say I believe to make a difference in my life. It, it, it guides me in the choices that I make and I base my life on these truths. I, whether it be for my family, my job, my school, my entertainment, my recreation, whatever. I'm guided by the truths that are found here. I put a complete trust into what Scripture says, and it makes a difference in my life, and it, it chooses my lifestyle for me. You know, that, that's a big thing nowadays, isn't it? You get to choose your own lifestyle. Yeah, but any other lifestyle is going to lead you straight to the pit there's only one place where that'll lead you to the lifestyle of life life eternal and that's through scripture what do we believe in i believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth that's the starting point i start with god i believe that there is a god there is a deity there is a divine being if there is no god there is no christ if there is no christ there is no salvation and boy we're all in a whole heap of trouble then but there is a god if there's no god there's no meaning there's no purpose there's no hope for justice we just live in a purposeless, hopeless existence. But there is a God. But there's a lot of people who say there isn't. They try and deny the truth, or I guess as you know Romans says, that you know, they suppress the truth. The truth is there, they just don't want to hear it. They suppress the truth. So we agree with the psalmist. When he, the psalmist says in Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You're a fool if you don't believe in that there is a God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. But we're no fool. There is a God. But what do we believe about this God? I mean, centuries upon centuries, you know, different places have had different gods. So when you say, I believe in God, what, what God are we talking about? Well, this portion focuses in on the Father. I believe in the triune God, and I believe in the Father. And he talks, and in, in whoever wrote the Apostles' Creed ta- says a few things here about who this God is, who God the Father is, and I actually kind of want to work backwards from the way that it describes there, because uh, I, I think there, there's a progression in the way that I'm thinking of it. I hope you agree that there's a progression here. So I want to start with the proclamation that I believe that God is the maker of heaven and earth. That means that anything that exists apart from outside of God, apart from God, he created. Whether it's visible, whether it's invisible, whether it's heaven, whether it's earth, he created it. You know, there was a point before time and space and everything else where only God existed. And then we believe how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what this verse and this creed tells us, uh, Al Mohler actually, you know, summarizes it pretty good. When we say that we believe that God is maker of heaven and earth, what we're saying first is that God is eternal. He existed prior to creation. He has always existed there was never a time when God did not exist. Of course, God is outside of time, and so, but it's hard for us to speak about it in any other way. God is eternal. He existed prior to creation. Second, that he is infinite. He is not bound by heaven and earth. God is not bound by space and time and you know, things like that. So we're able to say things that he is omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent and all the omnis because he's not bound by these things. Third, God, you know, God is omnipotent. You know, he, he was spoke creation into existence. There was nothing. God spoke, and then there, there was something. And finally, it tells us that God is independent. He does not rely upon His creation for anything. He does not need us. We are not filling some kind of void in God's life. You know, God, as Trinity, wasn't there in eternity going, man, I'm bored i need to do something hey i'm going to create something yeah and now i'm not bored anymore that's not at all we didn't feel a need it's just an outflow of his love and and, and so by recognizing that god is this maker of heaven and earth there's several truths that we're stating here that we're proclaiming first we're stating that there is a distinction between creator and creation creation is Nothing like the creator. I mean, we do reflect some attributes, but in no way, shape, or form can creation be equated with the creator. I mean, a way to summarize that is, we're not God. You're not God. Only God is God. No one else. And so because we're not God, and we didn't make ourselves, but he created us, we have no say in what the creator decides to do and the decisions that he makes and his purpose. He made us. He determines our focus and our purpose and our meaning, and he's the one that determines everything. I mean, imagine if I would build a model airplane or I would get a Lego set and I would build, you know, there's plenty of Star Wars Lego sets out there. Man, if I, like, built a Lego Death Star or something like that. I don't know if I have the patience for that, but that'd be kind of cool. But so I make, I'm the one that made these things. I put them together, I determined their purpose. You're a model airplane, you are a Lego Death Star. And then all of a sudden, this model airplane or this Lego Death Star, they they look at me and they say, I don't need you, I'm greater than you. And I think I can run things a whole lot better than you run things. I mean, they wouldn't exist if I didn't put them together. There. I know this is you know a very weird illustration I know, but you know, hopefully it makes a, a, the point. they have no say in what, what goes on. So who are we to tell God what to do? Right? He made us. We, there is a distinction between creator and creation. The creation exists for the purpose of the Creator. The creation exists for the glory and honor of the Creator. Colossians 1.16, it's specifically talking about Christ, but, you know, the whole creation bit. It, it tells us that for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I mean, that's telling us he created it for his purposes. His purposes, not ours. So that's one truth that we learn from this. Second, it tells us that there is order and purpose in the creation which can be observed. Now here's the thing, you know, many deny this, well, unbelievers deny this. The fact that science and mathematics works is proof of a creator. I mean, we got engineers galore in here. This proof, I mean, just the fact that science and mathematics works is proof of a creator. Because a randomly devised universe, you know, a universe that just kinda happened by chance randomly, wouldn't have the order that it would take to have science and mathematics. Science and mathematics wouldn't have been possible. The fact that there are observable scientific rules and there are mathematical axioms, it proves Someone had to put those rules there to begin with. I mean, without God creating everything like he did and putting in order everything like he did, I mean, it'd just be chaos. Nothing but chaos. I mean, I know some of you think, there is a whole lot of chaos going on. But trust me, it would be a whole lot worse if if there wasn't a creator. And even science proves the natural tendency of the universe To move toward chaos but the truth that there is order shows that there's a designer there's a creator who put it all together as one author stated it the universe is unspeakably great but God is immeasurably greater does the universe in the complexity of its harmonies display evidences of supreme wisdom on the part of its architect and builder By so much does it honor God, the maker of it all. Does nature exhibit power, wonderful, sometimes appalling power? How strikingly does this tell us of the still greater power of him who fashioned it? And so because we know these truths, he is the maker, he has created an orderly universe. We are to worship this God as he reveals himself. He has revealed himself in that which he has made. We can look and see that there is a maker of heaven and earth. Even Paul said in Romans 1.20, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And yet he still, he moves on and he says, and yet they suppress the truth. They suppress truth. The truth. Now, th- a third truth is that the fact of a maker of heaven and earth alone is able to explain why humanity has dignity and honor and value. I mean, if, if there was no creator and we were not made in the image of a creator, humanity would have no purpose, no value, no importance no anything i mean that's why they try and follow the whole darwin thing and you know oh, you're, you're just another animal okay but that goes against everything that's within us as one author states it if man is but an evolved atom if there was no superior mind controlling the power and the processes by which man came to be if there was no image from without, stamped upon him, if there was no original, self-existent, personal being who gave somewhat of his own nature to man, then man is still but a thing of dust. You're nothing, you're nothing but dust if there is no maker of heaven and earth. But there is. God is maker of heaven and and earth everything that's in it whether it's visible whether it's invisible whether it's physical whether it's spiritual he's maker of heaven and earth but then right before that and again you know i'm working backwards the creed tells us that he is god almighty and that word almighty brings to mind several important ideas first it talks about his omnipotence and sovereignty we see verses like isaiah 43 13 where it says, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? You know, God alone has the power and the ability to do as he wills. He alone has the power to do according to whatever his purpose is. I mean, I know we humans like to think that, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman, I can do whatever I want. And yet you are not able to bring it to pass. You don't have the power to bring it to pass. God alone has the power and the ability to do what he wills, what he purposes, and no one can stop him. No one can stop him. The Bible asks this question at the beginning of Genesis 18, 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And the implied answer is no. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Now, yes, God is limited by his character, meaning he won't go against who he is, You know, the Bible tells us God's not a liar. I mean, God can't lie. But anything within the realm of his character, anything within the realm of his purpose and his will and and things like that, it's possible for him. Elsewhere, you know, Job got a better understanding of who, who God is. You know, the whole story about Job and everything that he went through and his friends are saying it's all his fault and he's trying to justify himself and everyone's getting it wrong, and let's face it, Job, you know, in his pain, he said a lot of stupid stuff, and so God comes to him and and says, all right, I mean, the original language, you know, gird gird your loins like a man, I mean, tighten your belt and get ready for a ride, because I'm about to take you for a ride, Job. And he starts asking all these questions. Okay, were you there when this was created? Were you there when that was made? Were you, are you able to control this? Are you able to control that? Finally, in Job 42.2, Job says, he finally gets God. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I mean, you have all these little puny human beings running around the earth thinking that they can escape God or they somehow can thwart God's plans. Psalm 2 says, <laughs> "God sitting in heaven laughing at them. He is mocking them. Oh, you think you can stop me, huh? I mean, I don't have it in the, in the, in the packet there, but I mean, read Psalm 2. How the nations and, and the rulers are taking counsel together against God. And God just sits in the heavens and he's laughing. He's like, who do these puny human beings think they are? They actually think that they can, they can rise up against me? <sighs> he mocks them. But another, another thing I want to mention about him being almighty, and the reason, one of the reasons I'm going backwards here, is because not only did God create everything, He sovereignly rules and reigns, and he sustains everything that he created. I mean, God did not just wind the universe up, let it go, and then have nothing to do with it again. God is intimately involved moment by moment, millisecond by millisecond. I mean, existence in creation is because, well, he's sustaining it. He holds everything together, and he governs its affairs. Um he is so ruling this universe that he's making sure that his plans and his will are being accomplished i mean god's able to keep the entire universe in control so there's a joke around my house about the fact that i have no ability to multitask at all i can only do one thing at a time and i'm doing my thing and I'm concentrated on that. And if somebody comes to me and starts telling me another thing, or you know needs me to think about something or do something, it takes me a while to, whoa, hold on, i got to turn off this switch over here. Now let me try and rev this switch up over here. So, okay, so, okay, I'm not doing that anymore, I'm doing this. I can't do both, i got to choose one or the other. I can't do both, so... You know, I'm not able to do that. But praise God, God obviously is the big multitasker. He upholds and sustains and governs the entire universe. Moment by moment. Everything. And if God were to remove his sustaining hand from the universe, everything would just cease to exist. Everything would just go god's holding it together we see this in scripture nehemiah 9 6. you are the lord you alone you have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all of their host the earth and all that is on it the seas and all that is in them and you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you you see that you preserve all of them you made it all and now you preserve it in acts 17 28 for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said for we are indeed his offspring in him we live and move and have our being now this last verse is uh act 17 28 you know it's from paul he's he's giving his speech in athens he's talking to the greeks and he even quotes some of their poets you know that even a As the saying goes, a blind squirrel will find a nut every once in a while. So sometimes the Greeks, every once in a while, got it right. So that particular Greek poet got it right. The reason that God sustains the universe and he upholds us is because we are his offspring. And that leads us to the first description in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father. He is Father. We're told in John 1.12, to all who receive Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In 1 John three one, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The re- reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Galatians 3.26, Paul says, for in Christ Jesus you are all all sons of God through faith. And so for those who are in Christ, not only is he our creator, he is our father. Now for those who are outside of Christ, he's their creator, and that's it. But if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God is your father. And so what does it mean to be a father? It means he loves us. It means he cares for us like a father does with their children. Anyone who is trusted in Christ. But I think um, the important point uh, overall that we're also stating when we say that God is Father is that God is a personal God. God is not, okay, he's up on the mountain, we're way down here, and you know, that's it. Or it's not like he is some impersonal deity like that of some of the false religions. Or he's not just some impersonal force like electricity or the force of Star Wars or, you know, whatever. He's personal. He's involved. He cares what goes on in our life. Right? We're told to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. He's personally involved in the world, and he's personally involved in our, in our lives. So we hear that. What is our response if we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? First response is humility. We are reminded that we are completely dependent on him, and no matter how smart we think we are, we are going to need him for every detail of our life every detail i mean i know we like to box things in certain ways and say okay well this will be god's box and i'll take care of this box over here see my apple watch is an unbeliever because it doesn't understand you know one of these days i'll learn to put it on like silent mode or something My Apple Watch doesn't understand that God is Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, but I sure hope you do. And that you're humble enough to let him be God in your life. But the second response is thankfulness. We thank him for creating us, sustaining us, and providing for us. Now, here's the thing. He he doesn't provide necessarily what we want, but he always provides what we need. And a third response is to live like this is God's world. This is not ours. Um... You know we hold this in theory, but I don't know if we really hold this in practice and attitude. Because we, we're, I'm human. I, you know I rule the roost around here. But no, this is His world, and we are here to serve Him. So I want you to consider your own heart tonight. Are are you humble before Him? Are you grateful before Him? And if and if not, what's preventing you from taking on those attitudes? And so we want to pray that uh, we would take on those attitudes as we go to a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltriana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.